Dear friends in our Lord, tradition has it that in the early to mid-12th century, a Christian monk by the name of Bernard, the superior of a monastery in the French town of Clairvaux, sat pondering the very same thing that we do tonight. Reflecting on the passion wounds of his Lord Jesus and knowing those wounds to have been sustained in deepest compassion for him, Bernard was moved to pen a poem. The monk scratched down a poem that contained these words. O sacred head now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. Now, some 900 years later, we sit here tonight and we ponder in penitential posture the image that so stirred this medieval monk to record such poetic praise almost a millennium ago. Tonight, we turn our faces and look squarely into the face, beaten and bloodied, of our crucified Lord. And we, looking there, behold that which he devoted to the likes of you and me, his sacred head. When we consider a person's distinguishing features, it it can't be denied that more than any other, it's a person's head that sets him apart. Certainly, marks, whether intentionally made with ink and tattooing instruments, or those unintentional ones, those already ours at birth, or those that become ours by the scratches and the scrapes of time, surely there are certain marks that do mark us as individuals, but our heads, those heads of ours with eyes and ears, nose, Mouth, eye color, ear positioning, nose prominence or protrusion, facial hair, hair color, hairline, those heads of ours, they, they make us one of a kind. They make us individuals. A person's head says a lot about him, and I mean this in more ways than one. Besides the physical characteristics, our heads describe us far more perhaps than we may realize. Does he hold his head up high? Or does his head hang down low? Is he headstrong? Big-headed? Pig-headed? Empty-headed? Is his head in the clouds or is it screwed on straight? You see, our heads certainly do more to define us than any other member of our body. Well, they also do more than any other member to, to carry and to bear the glory of a person. Or is shame. Consider it. What member of a king or a queen is honored at a coronation with the placement of a crown? It's the head. And what member of a criminal today is photographed or in years past was locked into the wooden stocks in the town square and pelted by the village folk with rotten fruits and vegetables? It was the head. The head, besides uniquely defining us, the head also more than any other member bears the glory of a person or bears the shame. Now consider our Lord's sacred head. Deserving to be raised high in glory above the highest angel. And to be the object of pure and perfect praise, it is noble, his head. It's regal, it is by nature distinguished, it is divine. And yet consider it. That for your sake and for mine, his sacred head hangs low, wounded, and weighed down by grief and shame. Now if indeed the head is so instrumental in defining who we are, what are we to make of this? 
What do we make of this? How do we rightly regard this one whose head here below at least has been the object of brutal insult and injury? How do we esteem him whose head has been the crowned with a band of thorns? Thorns that pressed into his tender skin draw a crimson flow of blood which mixes with his sweat to color his face the shade of agony. How do we esteem him? Well, by divine prophecy, Isaiah tells us exactly how mankind esteems him. He writes, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, he writes, and rejected by men. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. I tell you, the Lord of life here wears no disguises. What you see is what you get. Mankind esteems him correctly. He was stricken. He was smitten by God. And you consider tonight that sacred head of his and his wounds sustained and tell me that he wasn't afflicted. But recall also, what does Isaiah prophesy about us? We, he says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now, dear friends, if ever there was shame, this is it. If ever there was shame, this is it. The Creator inflicts Himself with and bears the burden of us, His creatures, and His creatures are ashamed of Him at school, at work, even at home, perhaps among our peers and friends in casual conversation. Among colleagues, among family members, do we yet hide our faces from him, as it were? Do we try hard to conceal our identity, much like Peter did outside the courtyard of the high priest? Do we even assent at times to the ridicule of Christ so that one won't say of us, you too, you're one of his disciples because your speech gives you away. Yes, his dear and sacred head defined him quite accurately. And it carried all the shame so that besides the words of Isaiah, the psalmist David, writing prophetically of this suffering Messiah, indeed speaking for him well before his suffering time, would write in the 22nd Psalm, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and they shake the head. O sacred head now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. What a mar it is. What a mar it is on all humanity that when our Savior comes to us, we should treat him like this. And we would wonder, we would ponder what was going on inside that sacred head of his as it brutally was being struck as it cruelly was being crowned with thorns, as it was spared no pain in being driven to Golgotha, that place of the skull. Dear friends, we might well wonder, except that the first words our Lord utters from his cross betray to us exactly what was going on inside that sacred head of his. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
Father, forgive them who have been or ever will be ashamed of me. Father, forgive them when their confession of me is weak. Father, forgive them who have ever been frightened into silence or who will ever ridicule me to save themselves from ridicule. Father, forgive them all, for they know not what they do. And at this we can only shake our heads in utter amazement and then bow our heads in humble reverence and in worship. For would God really devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Indeed. Indeed and gladly so, for he did suffer. He suffered until St. John records in one final insult a sponge of sour wine, fit to be thrown out, was raised to his head. And John writes, and so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Dear friend, take heart in this. Take heart. For if this is how fully your Lord Jesus has devoted himself to you in death, how confident you can be that he will, without fail, fully attend to you in your every need now that he lives. He who has the very hairs on your head numbered. Don't you think he's also got the many cares in your head, well in his mind too? Don't you think he knows exactly those concerns of yours and and mine that fill our heads and that worry our minds? But don't you think, but don't you think that if Christ, the risen head, has overcome the world and its concerns, that don't you think that you, the members of his body, will then too? And so raise your head up. No matter who you are, where you've been, no matter where in this world his will for you would have you go, you raise your head up and know that he'll guard and he'll keep you until that last day when thanks to his sacred head bowed in death, he will crown yours with life never ending. And that gospel news, that gospel news is enough to sustain hearts through earth's most critical hour. Indeed, it's, it's enough even to melt hearts of hardened stone. But you see, the account is told of famed 19th century German theologian Albrecht Ritschel. Well, Ritschel claimed to be a gospel-believing Christian. But like so many scholars of his day, like so many scholars of our own day, Ritschel remade and redefined Christianity in his own terms. His, quote, Christianity was was a theology of the self-made, the self-realized Christian, in which there was no original sin, no pre-existent Christ before Bethlehem, no wrath of God against sin, no cross one substitutionary atonement. In fact, in one of his books, Ritual severely criticized Bernard of Clairvaux's hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, by that time redrafted by Paul Gerhardt, the famous Lutheran hymnist. He criticized it up and down for its description and and devotion to Christ's physical suffering for us. You see, Ritual, with his self-made illustrious career, he had little use for the Lord's sacred head with grief and shame weighed down. But dying will do things to people. 
So you see, when it came down to his dying hours, when that critical hour came, you know what fueled his hope? You know what filled his hope and gave him confidence to face that hour? It wasn't a lifetime's work of anything self-made. No, it was reported that on his deathbed, Alrich Ritchell begged his son to repeat to him the last two stanzas of that once ridiculed hymn, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. It contained these words. Be thou my consolation, my shield when I must die. Remind me of thy passion when my last hour draws nigh. Mine eyes shall then behold thee, upon thy cross shall dwell. My heart by faith enfold thee, who dieth thus, dies well. Because his sacred head, because his sacred head was weighed down for you in death, dear friend, raise yours up, expecting fully eternal life. Ponder now your Lord's sacred head.